Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thank you for joining me. We wind the clock back to the post-World War II era, from 1945 to 1971, which was the heyday for Florida's roadside attractions. They were whimsical, sometimes cheesy, but never boring. In a time when roads were being built and Florida became a highly sought-after destination for work and play, hundreds of roadside attractions had tourism booming. To fully understand the impact it had on Florida's cultural history, my weird contributor Michelle McArdle and I spent an afternoon with Zach Zacharias, Senior Curator of Education and History at the Museum of Arts and Sciences in Daytona Beach, Florida, where he was giving a lecture. Part of the cultural history of our state because there were hundreds of them and hundreds of them. And since I lived in the state, my dad was the type of guy, he looked like Hemingway, acted like Hemingway, kind of a wandering. He was a real estate guy, he was a land speculator, and he loved to go to the back roads and travel all over. And so a lot of times I would pass these roadside attractions and I would tell my parents, I say, I want to go to the monkey jungle. No, we're not going to that. <laughs> I want to go to that. No, we're not going to that. They're tourist traps and they're ripoffs. Along so with his in-depth research, really what makes Zach a real standout on the subject is he speaks from personal experience. He's a Florida native who grew up next to a roadside attraction. I grew up about 300, maybe 400 yards uh, from the parrot jungle. It was founded by Franz Scherer. He was an, a native of Austria. His idea was to have a attraction or a tourist attraction, and it was the first one in Miami-Dade County that was based on uncaged birds that basically did parlor tricks. He had about 25 acres that he leased for $25 a month. It was 25 cents to get in, and in the first year, he had 10,000 visitors. So it drew over millions and millions of visitors. I remember on certain holidays, the cars would actually be parked on our lawn at times. Ronald Ray, Jimmy Buffett, 1946, Winston Churchill was a VIP at the Parrot Jungle, was given a private tour by Franz Scheer himself, and uh, was given a bird by Franz. I asked Zach, when did he first become fascinated with roadside attractions? Was it because his father took him down those roads less traveled? I would believe so, and I started to investigate, you know, online some of these old roadside attractions that I had seen, and I wanted to know what had happened to some of them, and I remember my dad sending articles that the Parrot Jungle was closing and moving, and I was very saddened by that, uh, and then so I just, I do a lot of Florida history talks, and I always like to cover uh parts of Florida history that aren't always talked about because so many times it's easy to talk about wars and, and you know, the Spanish. And uh, I just, this is a kind of an interesting untold story that a lot of people don't know about because so many people are new to the state yeah. and they don't realize this or they maybe never traveled to the state very much back in those times. But as a young child, my dad traveled a lot over the state, and I got to see these. At least I would pass by them and see them. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, they're like you said, they're right in the neighborhood, like um, Parrot Jungle was. Parrot Jungle, Monkey Jungle, uh, definitely. And since, since we had this vacation house in Melbourne, we had to travel all the way up to Melbourne Beach. So some of the route took us because 95 wasn't connected at the time. Mm -hmm. So you had to kind of go through the, some of the back roads, and sometimes you'd pass some of these 
uh, but Key Jungle and Gardens was another one in Vero Beach that we would pass, and I always wanted to go to that. It's gone now. Yeah, never got to go there. They would my parents wouldn't stop. So, I also like the um, what you said how with these roadside attractions, it really is about Florida's cultural history, and you know immersing that into the attraction. Unlike Disney World, where it, like you said, it's just all about imagination. You know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel as though some of the modern day amusement parks are missing any essential elements that the former roadside attractions had, um, like in terms of like history or kitschiness? Or I, I do. I think that they don't. There's no focus at all or mention of Florida history or important figures in Florida history. Or the, I think basically in Animal Kingdom, it's basically based on the Serengeti and, and African animals and maybe very few or very little highlighted native animals from Florida. Uh, and so a lot of these roadside attractions, if they had animal attractions, were based on a lot of the, I mean, Wikiwachi and then you had manatees. It wasn't just alligators, but it was a lot of different animals. Um, some of these roadside attractions, I, I do realize some of the ones you were talking about Either they still exist or remnants of them exist, but people may not know what they are. Like, there's probably no signage there that explains there, there's its There's a couple of websites origins. that document hundreds of these. Oh, okay. And uh, you can go and look them up. And there are, like you said, you're correct. Some have just remnants mm-hmm. of them where it's just a little bit of it is open or still around or can be seen. Uh, there's a little part of McKee Jungle and Gardens I didn't talk about that today, but that has about 20 acres that is still was preserved and saved. So, but there, you can do some on your own Googling Mm -hmm. and realize that there are a lot of websites now that have popped up that document a lot of these roadside attractions. Are there any current um, restoration projects underway for some of these lost attractions? Yes, a lot of the um, one in St. Augustine, the Fountain of Youth has been going under a that's basically a roadside attraction that's oh, going yeah. on a long and extensive restoration uh and i'm not sure if it's complete yet but it should be close to completion uh and so uh, the parrot the old parrot jungle had extensive renovations still going on believe it or not they're always trying to make it better uh and so some of them that are still around the claremont the uh citrus towers had some as well Gatorland, they've had renovations as well uh, but some that have been bulldozed and condos on there, they're never coming back. So yeah. These yeah. are lost historical places that are never coming back. I always it, like to tell people, you know, they ask, well, what's there? I'm like, well, 50% of if you just say condos or a strip mall, you're probably pretty close. That's yeah. what's there. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, do we, what do we truly lose when we lose these attractions? We lose our piece of our identity? Well, yeah, we do. We lose a little bit of our cultural history as well. Um, it's and a shame. Yeah it's, yeah, it's an absolute shame. You do. And then it puts more of an emphasis on just the big mega attractions like Disney and Universal and, and MGM. And, mm-hmm. and that just kind of makes it that's the only ones that there are. They're interesting because I, I like them because they focus on parts of Florida history. And although sometimes they always weren't authentic, but I like the fact that they focus on some type of Florida history or some type of natural history. George and uh, decided that... Florida is a good place to go. It's a good place if you're maybe an entrepreneur or a new start. Maybe you're running from the law or a spouse or something like that. Or the IRS. Florida is a good place for that too. So he's in Arcadia and he's a farmer. So after 1900, Florida has a lot of these truck farmers, if you want to call them that, small farmers, growing winter vegetables. 
And in Arcadia, he really wasn't a very good farmer, come all the way down from Ohio, and he realized, he said, that the snakes are more prolific than my, my vegetables. <laughs> and he and his son had shot a diamondback rattlesnake. They decided to skin it and cook it up. And they realized it was very flavorful and tasted like Chicken. Chicken. That was George N. And that was the spark. That was the idea. I got an idea. We just killed this snake. I just ate it. I got an idea. Why don't I start collecting rattlesnakes and making this kind of exotic uh, appetizer and I'll can it. So he starts a rattlesnake canning business in a secret supreme sauce in a place called Rattlesnake, Florida that he basically coined himself. What ended up happening to George N? George N met his end by a rattlesnake. <laughs> no pun intended. He got bit by about a six-foot rattlesnake doing a show, and he died that day. He even administered his own antivenom, and he still died. A couple of little things I was um, thinking about. You know, most people think you think Florida, you think gators. But you enlightened me that there were rattlesnakes. When you think of Florida, you think of, like, orange juice capital of the world. No, it was really about moonshine. So some of it was really, really funny. I thought it was cool. And, yeah, and I you. love the fact we have some weirdos in here because Vetter, to me, was a complete weirdo. Tell me a little bit about Vetter. So, yeah, so Dr. Vetter, uh, I believe he was from Connecticut originally and was this incredible guy that had this spark of an idea that he was going to have a dentist office and a natural history museum all in one, which <laughs> is really kind of bizarre. But he was one of these guys that had a lot of different jobs throughout his life. He was a, uh, you know, like a soldier of fortune. He was a locomotive engineer. And then he was a self-taught dentist, which is called itinerant dentist, which sounds horrible in, in the gilded age. <laughs> I don't <laughs> like the, the dentist century. now, even with all their degrees. Imagine a self-taught one. <laughs> Just and so, it. <laughs> you know, he came to St. Augustine, capitalizing off of the big grand resorts there. Dentist office, people, you know, dental care probably isn't very good. And when you're on vacation, last thing you want is some type of dental problem or toothache. But he's also trying to capitalize on the natural history. And he probably had an infatuation with the animals here, as a lot of people do. It's, Florida's very exotic. I mean, you come mm -hmm. down here and you see manatees. Imagine if you're from Maine or New York and there's manatees and there's alligators and there's rattlesnakes. Uh, and there's all types of, you know, animals that you normally don't see. So he capitalized on that. And in the end, people were more impressed with his natural history specimens and his taxidermied animals and these live animals he had in his dentist's office. So he shut down the dentist's office and just basically ran a museum, zoo, and curiosity shop. Yeah. Very, until around 1899. So, so the early Ripley's, <laughs> sort it, of, sort of. You hit, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head right there. It is exactly a precursor to Ripley's, believe it so, so is... Marco Polo land, I thought it was an early form of Epcot. You you talked about Marco Polo Park, or yeah, Marco In Polo. Bonnell. Right, was based on the exotic travels of Marco Polo. Wouldn't that be like an early form of Epcot? And, and, and they had grand plans to have this Climatron, and it was this huge building that you would have seen at a place like Epcot, where it was this huge, like... Uh, what do they call like a almost like a giant aquarium in there and they would have all these exotic plants and animals in there and it would be 10 12 stories tall all made of glass so that was in their plans it was never built this mm -hmm. climatron and it would have all types of exotic specimens in there 
but uh, it suffered because a Disney World was you know as I said the big dog they had problems getting there was no way to get to it other than having to go down to Daytona and backtrack to get to the exit because there was no southern there was no exit on the southbound uh, so it didn't last very long for four years but yeah it was sort of like you know that's it's a really good point that it's sort of like an early form of it and uh, who knows maybe Disney kind of picked up on that idea you yeah never know. yeah absolutely you never know I did notice in Ormond Beach that there's a burial mound um, somewhere up there. I was wondering how many burial mounds there are in Volusia County or if that's common. So that burial mound is interesting. My wife was an archaeologist and she excavated at that mound because they wanted to make sure exactly what it was. And it did turn out to be a burial mound. That is a Tamuquin burial mound. It probably dates back, you know, a thousand years at least. And uh, that was preserved. I am sure that a lot of them back in the Gilded Age and early part of the 1900s, you know, the 1950 were destroyed and bulldozed. I know, I believe I have four. Uh, a lot of that was bulldozed as well, these burial mounds. So people didn't have a, didn't care about them, didn't see them as a valuable archeological resource back then. And, uh, but that one's been preserved and it is a city park, I believe today. And I've taken school groups out there to see that, believe it or not, in the summer camps. And so um, it's called bundling is what they would do. They would have like a charnel house and they would uh, kind of gross but they would basically get all the bones down all the bodies down to bones and then they would kind of break them all up and put them in a bundle so you could get more burials in the in the burial mound so they weren't laid out flat like you see in western burials they were kind of put in like this little box and all the bones were busted up and not busted up but they were taken apart and bundled as they call it's called bundling Guess it's all about space. <laughs> it's always been that struggle, right? Yeah. That's. Um, but there are a lot. Of, there are other sand called sand burial mounds. There are others in Volusia County, but I'm not sure where every one is located. So, Florida is all about making the most with a small amount of land. Yeah, it's become that way for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you continue to get sea level rise, it's going to get worse. For so, sure. um, yes, I know things will be floating through <laughs> but um so if somebody wanted to go maybe out and explore some of these roadside attractions because there are some i mean i know the claremont towers there and the, mm, citrus, the tower, citrus tower and there are a few things you had mentioned um do you know of a website people can go to or i don't know the name of the website offhand if you just google florida roadside attractions you'll probably come up with a lot of websites now today and that will tell you at least where they are uh, and at least the old ones, or maybe uh, existing roadside attractions. Is okay. there a particular roadside attraction that you think everyone should go to that's, like, your favorite? Well, I, yeah, well, there's a couple of them. Most of them are in Miami. There's a lot in Miami that are still there. Fairchild Tropical Gardens. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. The Coral Castle, really interesting story. Yes, really yes, amazing. You're talking about there. a guy that moves stones that were bigger than stones at Stonehenge and he was 110 pounds and he was like five foot two yeah uh, and he did quite, it by himself he did it he? by himself yeah. and 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 he moved the entire structures from Dade City to Homestead and took him like 10 years to move it and so nobody knows how he actually did it and I think he, he had never t- I think he secrets. was even sick too with TB or something he, he did have, he yeah. had tuberculosis and then he of course where do you come when you get tuberculosis a good place Florida yeah I know and that was so another thing I thought was funny. You said, <laughs> thing? Is that well, think about the the science of the day wasn't very good, and they 
thought that tuberculosis was an inherited and you had weak uh, lungs. Okay. And so to combat that was to go and be around warm sea breeze area in particular. And so it was common to come to Florida for that. Can you imagine getting a prescription from your doctor? What what the doctor say? Oh, here's my yeah. script. It says move to Florida. Yeah, go to Florida and be <laughs> on the coast. Go to Parrot, Parrot Jungle. It shows you how little they knew about science, but it was getting better. And uh, the, But eventually, uh, see, he worked in the logging industry in, in the Northwest Ed, Territory. Ed, 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 Ed Leibniz. Scal- yeah, I, okay. I've heard the real pronunciation of his name, and I, I, it's so difficult to pronounce. I just call it in okay. the vernacular, yeah. Leap Skullman, yeah. and it's probably very wrong. But that's my English corruption of the name. So they, they have been um, – I don't know if this is well known or not, but they have been doing some upgrades to it, and they were digging. And there are some things that have been dug up. It's kind of a secret, but um, some things that Ed used for um, – moving things are buried underneath mm-hmm. and some stuff is being uncovered which i think would personally would make for a great documentary it's i think it's a fascinating documentary um and here is a guy that he worked in the logging trade you know when they were cutting down redwoods and sequoias so he must have learned a lot of tricks of the trade yeah how they were moving these giant trees out of these rugged forests, and I believe he picked up a lot of tricks of the trade there, and then he just applied that to these huge limestone, oolitic limestone blocks that he was yeah. carving and making. But what a dedication that he had to, to build! Absolutely, it's it quite amazing. And to and to build something out of it's a rock. I mean, how, how do you? And a limestone. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, it's a marvel. It really. Yeah. Is. It's a Florida it's. treasure, and uh, I remember as a child. Again, I always wanted to stop. My, we went to the Keys a lot. My dad had property in the Keys, and we, he loved the Keys, and we always drive by, and I always wanted to stop. And, of course, my parents would say, no, you can't stop. It's a tourist track, you know, <laughs> tourist trap, tourist trap, tourist trap. And then, of course, you want to become an adult. Now you can go and do it on your own. Right. It's like and House do you? of Xanadu. I went on yeah. my own, but my yeah. parents would never stop. So I went back to a lot of these even when I was much younger in my 20s before I even worked at the museum to see. I want. I never got to see them. I just want to see what it is. You know, maybe it's a ripoff, maybe not, but I still want to see what it is. Do you still go out and search for stuff? I, I mean, do, yeah. When I go to Miami, I go to Pinecrest Gardens a lot, uh-huh. and I go to a lot of these sites uh, like the Barnacle and Vizcaya and some of these sites that, you know, you lived there and you took them for granted. And then when mm-hmm. you don't live there anymore, you're like, I really should have gone and seen that. Yeah. A Miami Sea Aquarium is another really neat place to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really cool roadside attraction. It's a, it's basically like a SeaWorld kind of set in the 1950s style still. And there's yeah. been some upgrades and renovations, uh, like, like you said. Yeah, but uh, there's still that old style. Uh, kind old of Florida, old Florida attraction appeal to it that I love. Yeah, that's what I like about Miami is it has that old architecture that you know it's a little more nostalgic. In, in in some places, the thing that the thing that that always bothers me, Zach, is that we're a bit of a transient state, at least yes. in the South yeah. End. I don't know how it is here in uh, Central Florida, and that people don't necessarily know what's around them. They don't really know the history. So I do a program called. Big, it's it's kind of funny. It's called Big Zach's Truly Off the Beaten Path. Oh, oh, cool. So, and I do a program on that, and I saw a need for this because I bought some Off the Beaten Path books off of Amazon, and Mm -hmm. I got them. And I'm like, these are ridiculous. It has Daytona Beach as Off the Beaten Path, Winter Park, (laughs) Sarasota. And I'm like, well, maybe these are written for people who live in like Minnesota. 
and they come down maybe once in a lifetime, and yeah. maybe you go see that. And I saw some of the reviews on Amazon. I said, well, what are these people writing about these books? Because basically they just went and wrote down every single state park. They just went on the Internet and wrote down every single state park. They turned it into a book and every attraction they could find. And you can tell they'd never been in any of this place. And somebody wrote, well, what about the people who live here? We mm-hmm. know, you know, you know, we know Daytona. What about – we know the popular stuff, but what's off the beaten path? So I started – saying, well, I've been to a lot of places that a lot of people don't know. So a lot of museum members will come to me and say, we're going here. What can we do that's, you know, not the normal? And I'll say, oh, go in Pinecrest Gardens or go to the 1183 Monastery in North Miami. Oh, the ancient Spanish yeah, monastery. Yeah, the ancient Spanish oh, monastery. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. is a fascinating is place. That, it, that's considered the oldest structure in the, in in the, the United States. In North America. Yeah. Yeah, it From was disassembled 15, in Spain yeah. and brought over here block by block. It's got an interesting story mm-hmm. purchased by William Randolph Hearst. And basically it's on Brickell Avenue, almost on the border of Broward County. And uh, I finally got to go to that uh, mm-hmm. about six months ago. So Yeah, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. I love traveling the state. Yeah, it's and, uh, a beautiful state. It's it more really than is. just palm trees and beaches. It, yeah. it, the the pro- problem facing the state is sprawl and mm-hmm. clear-cutting. Uh, and losing that that you know what's left of the natural environment. I mean, a lot of times, you have, if you want to see exactly the way the state looked, then you got to go to the, the state parks because um, yeah. a lot of the natural landscape has been altered and it's not the same anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we have the most natural springs here. Don't don't quote and the, me on I that. think the largest spring <laughs> no, in the no, world is no, we springs, do right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 we do absolutely. And the most visited state park in the state is a spring, which is Blue Springs in Orange City. That's the most visited state park of the whole state. Wow, system. I would have thought it would have been the Everglades. That's a national no. park. No. Yeah. Oh, it's a national. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the state park. Yeah. Okay. But the first state park was in the Everglades. It was called Royal Palm State Park, and it was founded by women, and they were the ones that Yay. pushed for it. And so <laughs> women in the Gilded Age, near the end of the Gilded Age and into the Progressive Era after 1900 were really getting involved in civic projects, especially environmental projects, and this was one of them. And they purchased that that land, and that got rolled into the National Park eventually. It was a big stand of royal palms that was in the Everglades that they were trying to save, uh, make sure it didn't turn into orange groves. See? Power to the women. (laughs) They led the environmental movements, and they still do. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Zach. This thank has been very enlightening yeah, thank you. Uh, about Florida. And even though I'm a native, I still learn a lot. Um, I am always learning. And yeah. uh, every time I learn stuff, I'm always aware of my own ignorance. Uh, I, there's just so much to know. I, I didn't say that. Socrates said that. So, <laughs> um, but I'm always trying to learn and, and, and learn more and learn more connections and make these kind of big connections. Okay. I Because history is about causes not one cause but lots of causes and it's sometimes a lot about conflict as well not like wars but conflict of ideas yeah uh and what people believe and so history is also full of a lot of surprises Uh, so it's um, really a fascinating topic and florida is one of the best places to learn about history and roadside attractions is part of the history that i like and love to study yeah well thank you thank you That was Zach Zacharias from the Museum of Arts and Sciences in Daytona Beach and our weird contributor Michelle McArdle talking about lost roadside attractions. From lost to found, we now look at some unusual destinations you can find on your road trip through the Sunshine State. 
should you decide to take the road less traveled. This is just a small collection from Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson, and they can be found in his book, Weird Florida. Castle Otis. Driving down the East Coast on A1A from Jacksonville to St. Augustine, you'll see a King Arthur-style castle jutting up from the windswept trees. This is Castle Otis, spelled with three Ts, representing, according to locals, the three crosses on Calvary, the hill where Christ was crucified. The castle was built in the 1980s by a Rusty Ikes and Otis Sadler, without plans and, according to a newspaper article, without a permit. The county property appraiser had a problem trying to figure out how to classify the structure, and it was finally listed as a garage because the interior was not finished and there were no utilities. The castle serves as a chapel and is open one Sunday each month. The World's Most Unusual Monument Kissimmee is where you'll find what is locally billed as the world's most unusual monument, a 50-foot-high irregular quadrilateral pyramid whatever that is. It's called the Monument of States, and its 21 tiers contain 1,500 stones and rocks from every state and 22 countries. The tall monument, topped off by a 562-pound concrete eagle, was a project of the All States Tourist Club of Kissimmee and was dedicated by the governor on March 28, 1943. But wait, there are more than rocks embedded in this weird monument. Upon close inspection, you'll see a meteorite, a cannonball from Michigan, buffalo horns from Montana, petrified wood from Arizona, a rock from the Sahara, a human skull, glacier eggs, a petrified apple from Wisconsin, and a map of Holland. And then we have a few roadside oddities. Crash landings. If you see these on the side of the road, you might want to question the skill of Florida's pilots. Actually, the airplanes are staged attention-getters. In Polk City, a cargo plane is stuck nose-first in a cow pasture beside Interstate 4, advertising the Fantasy of Flight Museum. In Daytona, a zebra-striped plane appears to have crash-landed into a safari-themed miniature golf course, and on Highway 1 in Rose Bay, a yellow plane called Nosy Rosie has landed on top of a seafood restaurant. And then there's the beer can car. This is a great way to recycle a beer can, provided it's big enough to hold an engine. We might call this speedster the staff car of Sapotnik's Cabbage Patch, a biker hangout in Samsula. The Cabbage Patch is popular among bikers for its coleslaw, but they don't eat it, they wrestle in it. This is where the annual women's coleslaw wrestling matches are held during bike week. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com or call us at 754-202-3207. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlow Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody.